0: Hey, everybody, I am so glad that you are with us today for gathering. If you haven't met me yet, my name is Mel. I would love to meet you. If you see me at at something going on at your region or at a cross-regional thing, come and say hi. I want to meet you. Now, I'm part of the team here at Lyft Church. I've been part of our church for a lot of years, and I'm really excited to be able to share with you today from a passage that is super key to who we are as a church, Now, this passage is a passage that really speaks to who we are as people living on mission, as a Christ-centered church and a missional church. This is also part of Thursday's Devo passage from this past week. So if you've been on top of your Devos, you've had a little bit of a primer of what we're going to be talking about today. If you didn't get a Devo book yet, talk to your skirt or your simple church leader or the welcome team at your gathering today, whoever it might be. I'm sure they would be happy to get you your own copy. Now, before we get into the word too much today, I just wanted to bring a little bit of background. So today we're going to be in Acts, in Acts 2, and this is our first sermon out of the book of Acts. Uh, We've been in Mark for the last little bit, so I wanted to share a little bit about what is the book of Acts? Where is it that we are landing today? So... Acts is written by Luke, one of the disciples, and it's really the story of the founding of the Christian church. So prior to his ascension, Jesus spent time with his disciples, just teaching them about the kingdom of God, teaching them about life on mission, and promising the disciples that they were going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit to empower them in their ministry in the command that they've received to go and make disciples of all nations. And when the Holy Spirit comes, the apostles are directed to go and live on mission, to go and be witnesses in Jerusalem, then in Judea and Samaria, which are the surrounding areas, the neighboring regions full of non-Jewish people, and then to the ends of the earth as well. Now, earlier in the second chapter of Acts, we see the day of Pentecost happens when the Holy Spirit came to dwell among and within the people who are followers of Christ. And now today, we are hearing part of what comes next, of how the early church is living. Now, with that kind of background information in mind, why don't we read together? Acts 2, verse 42 to 47. Hopefully you've had time to open this up, but it should be on your screens for you as well. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Why don't we bow our heads together and pray church as we get into things today? Father God, I just thank you for the opportunity we have to come together today to study your word, to look at what a life on mission looks like, what it looked like in the early church and what it looks like for us today. Lord, I pray that you would be speaking through me today, that my words would fall away and my thoughts would fall away, but that you would be speaking to our church what we need to hear and just really showing us what it looks like to live a life eagerly running after you, Lord. Amen. So, today we're talking about the Acts 2 church, what it looks like to be an Acts 2 church. This passage is such a beautiful picture of what the early church looked like. My Bible actually has a title for this section or this group of verses and it calls it a generous and growing church. And this passage is really all about that, about how the early church, this multiplying population of Jesus followers or of believers that we read about in Acts lived. It's about how they chose to live on mission in response to the teachings of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit within them as well. And it's also a beautiful example For us, of how we can and should live as well. The principles that the Acts 2 church lived by, the ways that they were influenced by the teachings of Jesus and being filled with the Holy Spirit, also applies to us today as the 21st century church. So today we'll be looking a little bit about what this looks like practically, looking at what are the everyday practices of the church on mission and of a life on mission. We've got six points today. We've got a lot to get through. So we're gonna jump right into it with no real delay here. So the first everyday practice of the missional church and of the missional life is spiritual hunger. Spiritual hunger means that we desire to grow closer to God And this is where it all starts, church. We must desire to grow closer to God. Let's look back at this passage at verses 46 to 47. They, the people, the believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Spiritual hunger is where everything has to start. It is the foundation. It fuels our pursuit of Jesus. Spiritual hunger is what leads us to actually live the rest of the things that we're gonna talk about over the next however many minutes and the rest of the things talked about in this passage. Because we don't do these things for us, we do them because we want to grow close to God As we live these things out, as we live out the practices we hear about in this passage, it in turn uh, grows, it increases our dependency on God. And also it increases our spiritual hunger even more. It really snowballs. Good kind of snowball, not the bad kind. The life of a Christian and the life of following the call of Jesus and the mission of Jesus is definitely not something that we can do in our own strength. We need to desire God with us. We need to be dependent on God, turning to God over and over and over and over again in surrender and inviting him to go before us in all things, to bring sanctification in us, to help our hearts look more like him and also help us to in turn live a life that is missional, that is pointing those around us to Jesus. Now, in this passage, it really talks about some practices we can do to really deepen our spiritual hunger, to help us desire more and more to grow closer to God, and also to help us grow closer to God. So, first of all, we pray. Quite simply, if we desire to know God more, we talk to God, we pray. We listen to God, we spend time praying to God, both by ourselves and with other people. This is one of the beautiful practices that helps grow our spiritual hunger because as we invite God more and more into our lives, and as we listen to God more and more, we start to depend more and more on Him and yearn more and more for closeness with God. We also read scripture. This is why we do devos. It's one of the big reasons we have devos is so that we as a church family, as a whole, can be in scripture together, can be learning more about God and growing in our spiritual hunger, our yearning to know God more. When we desire to know God more, we read his word. And we not only read God's word, but we study it, we cherish it, we submit to it. We listen to what God has to say to us, both individually and as a church. We submit to the things that the Lord is teaching us. Even when they're difficult, in all things, we submit to them. And also, we worship. God is good. This is why we are filled with awe. This is why the apostles were filled with awe and the people, the believers, were filled with awe in this passage. God is powerful. God uses us to do powerful things in his name as well. And this is why we are filled with awe and worship for the wonder of who our God is. When we have this spiritual hunger, when everything that we do is motivated by a deep desire to grow closer to God, this really drives the rest of our lives. It drives the rest of our everyday practices because our foundation is firm. The foundation of how we as Christ followers live is built on wanting more of Jesus. And the spiritual hunger really is the foundation of the rest of what I'm going to be sharing with you guys today. So the first everyday practice of a missional life is spiritual hunger. But the next few practices I'm going to be talking about, they they all involve integration. So when we read today's passage, it's pretty obvious that The early church was within each other's lives. They were all up in each other's business. They were integrated. And this integration is characteristic of the next few everyday practices we'll be going through. So with that kind of preface out of the way, we'll move on to our second everyday practice, which is church at the center. Church at the center means church family is at the center of our lives. I'm going to read part of verse 42 and 46. Um, It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. Every day. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temples and broke bread from house to house. Some of you have been around our church family for quite a long time, and some of you are newer here at Lyft. Either way, I'm super glad that you're with us today. And either way, you've probably noticed that this thing that you're at right now, this Sunday gathering, we don't call it church. Why why is that? Well, it's because church is not a a once-a-week worship service. Church is family. Church is the body of believers. Church is that family of believers living on mission together. We can see this clearly in the passage that the early church is the group of people living their life on mission together for Jesus. Nowhere in Acts 2 do we read, you know, the believers gathered once a week to sing some songs, listen to a sermon, and drink bad church coffee, and then they went home and went on with their own lives. That's not what church is. Instead, it says every day. The mission of Jesus, the mission of going and making disciples of all nations that were called to in the Great Commission, it doesn't only happen on Sundays, but it's a continual 24-7 commitment. A life of following and pursuing Jesus is a 24-7 commitment. This is what church at the center looks like. It means that church is not one siloed distinct part of our lives but rather that church is central that it's part of absolutely everything we're committed to one another we're committed to our church family and we're committed to our shared mission this call to see people come to know jesus to go and make disciples but so there's a lot we can learn but what can we learn about living with church at the center from this passage and from the early church. Well, church at the center looks like living in community, being in community, being part of each other's lives. It looks like letting those around us see the ugly and the pretty and all the in-between of our lives. It looks like consistent rhythms of seeing each other, those everyday rhythms. I mentioned integration briefly earlier. And this is where integration kind of fits into things. When we have church at the center of our life, that means that church also overflows into everything. It means that we have the opportunity to invite the non-believers in our lives to the relationships we have with our church family. Here's the, the pocket pitch. Invite your non-believing friends to things with your church family. Invite your coworkers to hang out with your church family. I'm sure a lot of us have heard something along the lines of, oh, you never have time for me. You're always doing church things. But that's that's not the truth. We always have the opportunity to proactively invite the people in our lives who don't know Jesus into this community that we've got, into our church family. That's because church is not one thing that we do, but it's so integral to who we are that our family and our mission overflow in all things. And as we invite our non-believing friends into the things we're doing with our church family, they can see the love of Jesus by looking at the ways that we love each other. This allows these people also to get a more complete picture of who Jesus is and the goodness of Jesus when they get to see a church family In community together. I am far from perfect. I'm flawed. Grace is on camera with me today. She's really wonderful. She's also not perfect. We're all flawed, and we all give incomplete and imperfect pictures of who Jesus is. But when we invite people into a Christ-centered community, When non-believers, the people in our lives that we care about and want to see know Jesus, are exposed to our church family and not just us as individuals, it gives a more complete, a more accurate, and a much, much more beautiful picture of who Jesus is. The practice of living with church at the center, it also impacts other ways that we live. And the first thing that Church at the Center can lead us to is our third everyday practice, which is intentional proximity. The third practice of missional living is intentional proximity. Intentional proximity means that we choose to live close to our church family and our mission field. Verse 44 to 46 of this passage says, Now all the believers were together, and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. And every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They were all together. They held all things in common. They met together every day. They broke bread from house to house. A missional church practices this proximity, this being close to each other. Let's be realistic. It's really hard to be part of church, family, to see people and be really involved in each other's lives if we're not near each other, if we're not squarely located within each other's lives. It's really difficult to share meals together when you live far away. Now, I've known Robin for a lot of years, and over the years, I've had a whole lot of conversations with him that have stood out clearly in my memory and have been pretty influential in different ways. In one conversation, Robin, this is not related to this at all, but Robin walked up to me, looked at me and said, I want you to consider the trajectory of your life. And then he walked away. And let me tell you, I was turning that one around for weeks and weeks after. Really good question. But there's another conversation that stands out that really relates to what we're talking about today. Robin and I, about eight years ago, were talking about living situations. And at that time, Robin said to me, what if people chose where to live based on where their church community is and not where their workplace is? Imagine what the church could look like. That was about 8 years ago, but it came back to me a couple years after that when I was kind of considering my own living situation. At that time, I was working full-time at a job in Brantford, and I was living in Brantford in an apartment that was somehow both super cheap and pretty nice. It had a gas fireplace and a sitting room and in-suite laundry. It was—it was pretty great. But at that time, I was really exploring what it looked like to live my life in a way that was integrated with my church family. I found myself driving from Brantford where I was living and working into Hamilton almost every day. Whether it was for Pinky Lewis or Westside or Huddle or gathering or movie nights or worship nights or prayer times or meetings or meals. And I wasn't happy. I was spending so much time every day driving back and forth because I lived so far from my community. I couldn't practice spontaneity or any kind of additional regular rhythm with my church family when I lived a 30-minute drive away. People couldn't come visit me. I couldn't host them in my home easily because there isn't great public transit that goes from Hamilton to Brantford for a lot of the students who were in my simple church at that time. Long story short, I ended up deciding at that time that I would rather commute for work and live with my family, my church family, and moving within a couple kilometers of the campus at that time. Um, if that's something that you want to hear a little bit more about, I'd love to share a bit more about it, but that's kind of my story of deciding to come to proximity, to choose intentional proximity. But I'm not the only one. We've seen this all over our church family, these choices of intentional proximity that have been made. The Valkenbergs moving to Ainsley Wood recently is really exciting. We've seen Tara buying a house intentionally close to campus. We've seen different people making choices to be near church family. The choice that I made and the choice that many, many, many others in our church family have made, it isn't coincidental proximity. It's intentional proximity. It means making the choice and making what is often a sacrifice to be close to each other. My apartment was pretty sweet in Brantford, but it was better for me to choose to be with my family. It means we don't make choices of where we live based on cost or based on how nice an apartment or a house might be, but based on where our family is and how we can live most ingrained in our family. Maybe you're a student watching this right now and you're trying to, you're starting to have the questions of, oh, like, how will I decide who to live with next year and where to live and how do I find a student house or what do I do about that? I strongly, strongly encourage you to talk to others in your Simple Church family and in your region about what it could look like for you to live with church family or to live near church family right close to campus. Proximity matters. It empowers things like spontaneity. It makes it way easier for us to have time together to be in each other's lives. It eliminates barriers like transportation and time from impeding our ability to be part of family. And it allows for even more healthy rhythms of pursuing Jesus together as we live together, or in proximity to one another. Now, hand-in-hand with intentional proximity is this fourth everyday practice of missional living, this fourth everyday practice of the missional church, which is open home. It matters where our homes are, but it also really, really matters how we use our homes. An open home means that our doors are open to friends, to neighbors, and to strangers. Verse 46 of this passage, I know I've read this one a bunch of times. It's all such gold in this passage, so bear with me as we repeat some of the same pieces over and over. God has so much to share with us out of this passage. But verse 46 says, Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. The early church broke bread from house to house. They went into each other's homes and they shared meals. And in the same way that we read that the early church broke bread from house to house and in the same way that we read that they were in each other's homes, we as a church, as a body of believers who are following after the mission of Christ, must also practice open home. We need to be living with our doors open to everyone, no matter what, no matter who they are. There are so many examples of open home and what this has looked like in our church family, but one actually I heard last Sunday um, that really I wanted to share with you because I thought it was so, so beautiful. Uh, John Wolfe, who's part of our Mohawk region, he's one of the missionaries at Mohawk. Uh, He noticed a young guy who looked roughly student age on the street where he and his wife Jody live, which is a couple kilometers from the Mohawk campus. This was a complete stranger, but John went and talked to him and ended up hearing that the guy was kind of stuck. He had nowhere to go for... A handful of hours he had time to kill and didn't really know what to do, where to go. And John invited him into his home. He spent time with him, shared dinner with him. And this was a stranger. And this is beautiful. This church is what open home can look like. It's all about inviting people into our homes, about living lives that are open and that are also vulnerable. This might just be me, but I remember a little bit as a kid the way that my house would prep for company. This was less my parents' house, more my grandparents' house. But if someone was coming over, it was a, someone is coming over, everybody grab, duster, broom, vacuum, clean. Kids put all the toys away. No one's going in the kids' bedrooms, but I guess you need to... Need an excuse to get kids to clean their rooms. Okay, everything needs to be clean. Everything needs to be perfect. Straighten things on tables. Put away any extra things. Set the table for dinner perfectly with the special china that lives in that little cabinet that you don't open for everyday meals, only when, like, special guests are coming. And that whole put on your company best clothes and hope that the company doesn't come early and you aren't, like, you don't want them to show up before you're ready. I don't know if anyone else had that experience of the home must be perfect before we can let people into it. That experience that I had at times growing up of needing to be ready and perfect before inviting people in, that is the opposite of open home. That is not what open home is. Open home is having a home that is open whether there are dirty dishes in the sink or not. To quote Rosaria Butterfield's amazing book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, hospitality is necessary, whether you have cat hair on the couch or not. People will die of chronic loneliness sooner than they will cat hair in the soup. I I just love that quote so much that when we're having people over, we need to be thinking about them and not about us and our pride in wanting to have our home perfectly clean. I mean, I do have a cat and there's often cat hair on the couch because she thinks she owns everything. Tried my best to deal with that, but still, we need to care more about the people than about our pride in being perfect. If you're interested in reading that book, it's actually available in the Lyft Church library as well. So we can help you out if you wanna read a little bit about what a life of radical hospitality looks like. That's really what her book is all about. Now, it takes vulnerability. It takes openness in your whole life to live out this open home kind of life. No fear of imperfection, but just humbly welcoming people in and showing them love because love is what they really are seeking. Open home also really can be practiced by sharing meals in our homes with others. Whether you're a good cook or not doesn't really matter. I encourage you, church, to this week invite someone into your home for a meal. I don't care if it's grilled cheese or if it's craft dinner or if it's a full turkey dinner or if you're making something amazing. Either way, shared meals and that being open, having space at your table for people is beautiful. And that is a practice of a missional life and a practice of the missional church. All right. And our next everyday practice that we've got to go on to is sacrificial living. Sacrificial living means that we live sacrificially so that people can see Jesus exhibited in our lives. Verse 45 says, they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. The early church lived sacrificially they lived communally. They didn't hoard their possessions and properties as their own, but instead used them in ways that would show love to those around them, that would meet the needs of those around them, and that would ultimately point those around them towards Jesus. What does this mean for us? Well, you've you might have heard us say this before, someone from the team, you might have heard it elsewhere, but it means acknowledging that our possessions are not our own. They belong to God. And when we see our possessions as belonging to God, then naturally the response with possessions is to use them to serve and to love and to witness to those around us, to use them for worship. This passage says, In verse 45, it says they distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. It's not exclusive to the people that they liked best. It's not exclusive to their friends or their family members, but they sacrificed and distributed the proceeds as anyone had need. Now, you might be hearing this today and thinking, well, Mel, what are you like? What are you telling me to do? Are you telling me to sell everything I've got? Because that seems terribly impractical. So I've got two things for you today. Two practical things. One, share what you've been entrusted with. Share the possessions and property that God has entrusted you with. On the Lift Church, Lift Church Discord, we've got this beautiful uh, chat. I think that's what they call them on Discord sure, chat called resource sharing, where people can post if they have a need and others can meet that. Or people can also post if they have excess. Things that they don't need. And I encourage you to look at that chat and to post the things that you have that you don't need that others might have greater need of. Also to look at the posts that are coming in there and how you can serve them how you can help people move who need help moving, how you can give rides to people who might need that, how you can prepare a meal for someone who has a busy week or is having a challenging time and would really benefit from that. It could be who you can host in your home. Keep an eye out for the times that you can use the possessions that God has entrusted you with to serve those around you, within our church family and outside of it as well. And the second thing for you to do is create space. Create space. So often we tend to pack our lives full to the brim, live right at the limits without any buffers. And if we live without buffers, whether that's financial buffers or time buffers or even mental and emotional buffers, we are limiting our ability to live sacrificially. We need some mental and emotional buffer to actually notice the needs of the people around us. We need a financial buffer to empower us to say yes to needs of people around us, to live with generosity, to make choices that are sacrificial. And this buffer looks like living our life intentionally, sacrificially every day to create buffer for when it's needed. It means not living at the maximum of our income but living what might be with a lesser vehicle or buying food that is on sale even though it's not as good as other stuff or cutting down your Starbucks coffees and instead making it at home. Creating a financial buffer so that you can support those around you when they have needs. Now, I could talk about specifics of the ways that people within our church family have exhibited sacrificial living, but I would be here forever if I started talking about all of that. So instead, I encourage you to ask that question of those around you, uh, where they have seen people living sacrificially and how the sacrifice that they have made has—or has the sacrifices that others have made have impacted their lives. A missional church and missional life is full of sacrifice. It's full of compassion and generosity in all parts of life. And this really brings us to our sixth and final everyday practice today, which is passion for the lost. Passion for the lost means we desire to see others come to know Christ. Verse 47 says, Every day the Lord added to their number those who are being saved. Every day the Lord added to the number of the the early church those who are being saved. Church, this is what a missional life is about. It's about seeing people come to know Jesus, seeing them experience the hope of Jesus for themselves. Every single part of our lives needs to contribute to this, needs to be oriented around this. Everything I've spoken about so far, the other five practices of missional living, they all feed into this. They help see the lost come to know Jesus and they help to fulfill this desire that we have in our hearts, this passion to see others know Christ. Passion for the lost is exhibited in the actual practice of going and reaching the lost. It means more than just being excited when someone who is lost is safe, but it's actually the pursuit of the lost that we are willing to go and show love ourselves personally to those who don't know Jesus and to invite them to relationship with him. This is why every simple church practices evangelism. You might hear it called different things. You might hear about SME. You might hear about a specific serving ministry. It might not have a formal name associated with it, but you might just hear your simple church leader talking about inviting your friends from outside of church to spend time with your simple church, whether it's sports or movies or bonfires or bubble tea or whatever it looks like. It doesn't matter what it looks like for your simple church, what specifically you're doing, but that you and your simple church family and our church family as a whole are taking active steps on a daily basis and on a weekly basis to invite the lost to join. To meet us and to experience the love of Jesus as experienced by the group of believers living on mission together. A church family loving each other. These six everyday practices of life on mission they're not separate but they all feed into each other. When we as faithful servants of Christ show the love of Jesus to those around us and when we ourselves are spiritually hungry and share that with those around us when we live with church at the center and we practice intentional proximity and open home and sacrificial living when we earnestly genuinely desire to see those around us know Jesus we will see it, we will see the lost experience, the hope of Jesus. We're gonna put a slide up on the screen right now and it gives the Coles notes, the short definition of these six everyday practices. This slide is what we call one of our DNA docs as a church. It's something that shares about who we are as a church Um, specifically about how we as a church family, as Lift Church, choose to live. There is so much in this passage about what it looks like to live a life of purpose and mission as a follower of Christ, way more than I had time to break down in our 40-odd minutes here today. Um, We've done much more of a breakdown of this for you, though. We, at Lift Church, we've actually authored a couple of books. One of them is called "Everyone Sent to Multiply Everything. Another one is called Living Sent. And if you're hearing what I'm talking about today, but you want to go a little bit more in depth, I encourage you to take a look at those books. Talk to your Simple Church leader or your skirt or the people at your welcome booth, and they can help you get your hands on a copy. Or you can also go to liftchurch.ca slash books and buy yourself a copy there if you'd like. But... I've scratched the surface today. Scratched the surface on what missional living looks like. There's so much more to it. And yeah, so if you're looking for resources, we've got some for you. Church, the life following Jesus is beautiful. I was talking to Brooke Weaver from the McMaster region, who is my housemate, earlier this week about how encouraged I am by God's consistency, that God is constant. I find it so beautiful that the life of the Acts 2 church in following Jesus and the life of the 21st century church church following Jesus look the same. They have the same principles and the same practices there. The picture of the early church matches the picture of how we can live as a missional and Christ-centered church today. Now, whether you're hearing these things today for the first time or you've heard them before, I encourage you to reflect on how you can live more missionally, on how you can fall deeper in love with Jesus, how you can live with church at the center, how you can practice proximity and have an open home, how you can live sacrificially, how you can increase your passion to see those around you know Jesus. I've got six quick reflection questions for you just based on these six everyday practices for you to ask yourselves and to help evaluate how you're living on mission in these areas to help identify which of these everyday practices you might need a lot more practice in, and which of these areas there's room for surrender and growth in. So number one, Do I desire to grow closer to God? AKA, am I spiritually hungry? Number two, is my life centered around Christ and is Christ in everything? Or is church siloed? Number three, does my living situation and my living location allow everyday integration with church family? Four, is my home open and welcoming? Five, can people around me see Jesus in the way I sacrifice and in the way that I live? And six, do I urgently, earnestly, with all my heart, desire to see others come to know Jesus? church, I am encouraged when I look at our church to see these practices put into action in the lives of so many within our church family. I am encouraged as I preach today, as I was working through this passage this week, and ultimately it's my prayer that we would continue to encourage each other in this, that we would grow closer and closer to Jesus personally and collectively as a church family, deepen deepen our desires to know him because God is good. So why don't we all bow our heads together and pray to wrap up our time together here. Father God, I thank you for your word and I thank you for this beautiful picture of what life on mission looks like for us personally and collectively as a church family. Lord, I thank you for the blessing of this church family. I'm surrounded by so many people who are already living out these practices. And I pray that we would continue to encourage one another to live lives that are more and more on mission and that look more and more like you. Lord, I pray that you would be working in each of our hearts and helping us to surrender uh, the things that we're holding on to, the practices that might be harder for us. I pray that you would be with each of us as we go, and that you would give each of us a clear picture of what life on mission pursuing you looks like, this life that is truly beautiful and truly good. Thank you for our time together today, and bless us as we go. Amen. Well, thanks so much for being with us today, church. It was so great to get to share with you all, and I hope you all have a great week. I will hopefully see you soon.